ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. All right, we are back with another baseball fan who is entered into the room and is willing to share his story of how he became a baseball fan. It is Ben Berman. Ben joins us uh, on RizzoCast. Ben from San Francisco. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing good, Stephen. How you doing? I'm doing pretty awesome, uh, and I appreciate you uh, coming on and, and taking the time. For sure. Uh, so I've been asking, you know, all these baseball fans. It's been a lot of fun. Got to know a lot of fans on how they got involved in the game and how they became a fan and how they, uh, you know, maybe grown up watching it or caught on a little bit late. Everybody kind of has that one common, um, you know, moment or player. We're going to get into all of that. But my first question that I want to ask you, Ben, is uh, how did you get into the game? When did you kind of start first noticing uh, baseball? Um, I mean, I would say my fandom technically does go back kind of to the day I was born. Um, I grew up here in San Francisco and my dad is an absolute fanatic about the Giants. Um, he always told me stories about when I was just like two years old, sitting on his lap, listening to the heartbreaking uh, <laughs> Giants loss to the Angels. And obviously I don't remember that, but um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to identify when exactly I became a fan because it was always just kind of an integral part of my identity in a way. <laughs> yeah. 2002, I was six months old when the giants lost the angel. So, I mean, if, if you want to feel old, Ben, and I probably just did it right there. Uh, and, oh, yeah. and what kind of separates baseball from some of the other sports? Cause I know basketball is, is really marketable and a lot of people are following it. Football of course is overtaken um, probably basketball as well as kind of the, the, the top sport in terms of viewership, what kind of separates baseball from those other two sports? Um, for me, I definitely, I don't know. I've always seen baseball as definitely unique. I mean, a lot of my friends these days are, you know, as you just said, much more into basketball and football. They kind of clown me for being into baseball, which they perceive as boring or whatever. But to me, it's always been it's very comforting. It's there's so many games over the summer. Um, I have that connection with my dad. We still bond and connect over baseball every single day. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very comforting. There's a sense of nostalgia to it. You get to know every single player over the course of the season. Um, I really feel like my life is based around the giants during giants or during baseball season in a weird way. And what are those conversations like with you and Pop? Do you guys like talk after every game? Is it like, do you watch the games together? Take me through that kind of father-son relationship. Uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, pretty much everything. He's um, he's definitely an old school fan. He really likes to get attached to the to the players. Just he has his his favorites from growing up. He has his favorites now. Um, but I've definitely introduced him more to the world of analytics and uh you know the modern game and we're definitely kind of connecting over our our different sides of uh baseball fandom it's definitely a multi-generational thing in my family uh my grandpa was you know an old school new york uh yankees old school giants fan actually and then you know they broke his heart they moved away so 
yeah, my family grew up on the Yankees and the Giants. So does your dad like this? This is is he like when you try and teach him the analytics? Is he like accepting of them, or is it like trying to talk to a brick wall? What is that conversation like? <laughs> I mean, I mean, find me a Giants fan who is not kind of sold on the the analytics after last um, analytics field baseball, you know, contributions from guys that no one could have thought possible. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely warming up to it. I think he he definitely sees it as uh, exciting and kind of inevitable, you know, to compete in uh, modern MLB. And it's definitely a breath of fresh air after a few stagnant uh, years as a Giants fan after the uh, the World Series years. Yeah, a few subpar years for sure, and then a really good one yeah. this year. Um, I I mean, everybody kind of has the player that they're attached to. Uh, growing up or maybe currently so uh, who, who is that player for you maybe growing up or someone you admire now um I mean I've I've heard this answer from a few other people on on your podcast um, so far and I definitely don't think this is going to be a uncommon pick but Buster Posey easily <laughs> is uh um yeah he 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 is the Giants for me you know as I said I've been a fan my whole life but I don't really remember uh being a fan until i was like nine or ten so you know right around the time he was coming up and i i very vividly remembered becoming a fan extremely fast he was called up he replaced benji molina who i was a huge fan of for some reason as like a little nine-year-old um and i was i was really upset i was like who is this guy because i didn't i didn't understand it but you know, he won me over as rookie of the year, World Series hero, and it felt like I was kind of growing up with him. Uh, obviously, I don't have to <laughs> mention his accolades. He's a great player, and uh, it's man. Yeah, the, the accolades kind of speak for themselves, huh? Um, I mean, did you imagine that he would kind of turn into like that borderline or maybe I guess, you know, I think he's in, but a lot of people see him as a borderline candidate. Did you imagine he'd turn into just a, a superstar like that? Um, I, I definitely, I was, you know, on the Buster Posey hype train the whole way. I, I think it is well-deserved. I, I also, you know, I think he's definitely borderline uh, Hall of Famer. Um, hopefully he gets in, we'll see. Um, I think he's well deserving though. Yeah, no, I, th I think he's in, but I think, you know, a lot of people that say he's borderline, uh, I, I think you just have to compare him to, cause there's a motorcycle absolutely flying down the street. <laughs> um, hope that the, the audio didn't pick that up. No, but, uh, you know, everybody's kind of comparing him to different catchers in the game. And, um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see him and especially Yadier Molina too, who will appear on the ballot, one year after he does um and you probably expect these next two questions coming here i want to ask your favorite baseball movie because i've gotten kind of a an interesting amount of answers here and an interesting variety of answers here um so what is what is ben berman's favorite baseball movie there's a lot to choose from so pick from the uh pick from the basket if you may right for sure um you know i definitely um a classic answer. I love uh, Field of Dreams. 
it was definitely a movie that I just did not get as a kid. <laughs> I think it kind of ages very well as you grow up. I think, you know, when I was a kid, I just saw it as really cheesy and I could not relate to it because I was a kid from SF and it was about, you know, <laughs> resurrecting, you know, baseball ghosts in Iowa. Um, but, you know, just the ending with, you know, just the connection between father and son and the whole concept of nostalgia is just that that is why I love baseball. <laughs> and it, it really does get me. Um, it gets me every time. So I, I probably have to go with Field of Dreams as the all time answer. Um, but a movie that I don't really hear a lot of people talking about is uh, 42 with uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, I, I love that movie. I think it's really good. Um, straightforward, um, historically accurate biopics. I think they can be a little bit dry. Um, I love, I think Moneyball is a good movie, but I can understand why it's, it's, it's a little, you know, you need to really be into baseball to, to get engrossed in it. But I think 42 is just, it's amazing. Chadwick Boseman's performance in that is just legendary. Yeah, no doubt about it. He did a great job in that one. And uh, Moneyball, I know a lot of the crit criticism that Moneyball gets is because, in you know, I read the book probably a few years ago, um, and it's it's nothing like the movie. It's like not polar opposites, but it's as close to polar opposite as you could get without being polar opposite. You know, so it's it, I mean, it doesn't mention the pitching. It doesn't mention um, you know, the draft that the A's had that year. There's a few other uh, interesting tidbits, but no, Field of Dreams. Uh, I want to get your take on when you watched the White Sox and the Yankees play in Iowa at the Field of Dreams location. Did you happen to see the the players walking out of the um, of the cornfield? I thought that was the coolest thing. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. I am <laughs> forever uh, jealous of my uh, baseball-loving cousin who lives in South Dakota and actually was at the game. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I, that would have been so legendary to be at. But, yeah, I loved watching it. I thought it was really, really well done <laughs> uh, by MLB. I think they, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, MLB, who, uh, you know, isn't really used to nailing stuff on the marketing oh, side yeah. of things, but they nailed that one. <laughs> they nailed that one. That's a different conversation for a different day. Um, and also ballpark food is, is something that I like to ask people about. Um, there tends to be um, a lot of variety of food that you would get at the ballpark. So I'm curious, what are you getting? What, what kind of, what's your meal? What's your snacks? Tell me all about it. Um. I am definitely a purist. Uh, I got to be honest about that. I, I'm the type of guy who is totally happy um, just going to the park and getting um, a slice of pizza and obviously at Oracle uh, garlic fries. I don't really deviate from that. I kind of stick with that. <laughs> um, that has been my go-to since I was a kid. Obviously there are, you know, the crazy crab sandwiches. It's pretty good. It's, ludicrously expensive but it's a classic um but yeah at oracle park i honestly am not a huge food guy which is interesting because i've been to a lot of other ballparks and i think they have amazing food <laughs> and i've really enjoyed trying like i had teriyaki chicken at petco park a few years back and like killer um barbecue in uh, kansas city but 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've yet to really explore the food at Oracle Park. And based off of just my impressions, like I'm more impressed with other ballparks in a weird way, <laughs> just mm-hmm. because I think that's the type of food that I prefer. It's, it's offered elsewhere. Yeah, sorry about it, but you sure as hell ain't getting barbecue in San Francisco. Oh, no. The, ma- yeah. the magnitude. Well, you probably won't get it, period, but the magnitude of Kansas City, even if you do get it. So uh, good luck finding that. You have to travel a little bit for, for good barbecue uh, and baseball Wait. combination. <laughs> uh, and then I guess to finish it off here, uh, this is the big question and another uh, kind of basket to pick out of. There's probably been some baseball moments along the way that uh, you've uh, remembered and have kept uh favorites on so what are kind of some of your face favorite uh, i almost said facebook <laughs> what are some of your favorite baseball moments uh that you've witnessed as a fan um number one has got to go to um matt kane's perfect game which i was in attendance for um which i find amazing to this day because there have only been like 21 22 in the history of the game and I was at one of them. And that is insane to me because that's not the kind of thing that you can plan for. It's not like going to a World Series game. It's not like seeing someone's debut or retirement. It's so random. And it was just a random, it was a really, I mean, it was a San Francisco summer. So really foggy, like Tuesday night in June of 2012. I was 11 years old. I <laughs> uh, went with my dad. And I just remember kind of like, I think the Giants took a pretty early lead in that game too. So I was kind of bored, honestly. I was like, you know, dad, can we, can we go? Because like the Giants are winning and it's like the fifth inning and I had no idea what was going on, but, and he would not tell me because as I said, he's a very purist baseball fan and he did not want to jinx it. He did not want to say, shut up, sit down. There was a perfect game going on. He just politely was like, oh, you know, just look at the scoreboard. I think it's, you know, I think it'd be worth staying, wink, wink. And it, I think it finally clicked in like the seventh inning. And those last three innings, I will always remember that vividly. Those, every single out, that was like the loudest, <laughs> most hyped I've ever seen um, Oracle Park. And yeah, I just feel pretty lucky as a fan that I was there for that. Yeah, and that and thinking back at it, that was a that was probably one of those games where they would give out the the really cheap tickets because they were playing the Astros, who were one of the worst oh, teams yeah. of all time at that at that point. They were terrible. Um, terrible, yeah, a hundred percent terrible. And uh, you know, that they blew them out. They they you know hit homers. I think Melky Cabrera hit homered, and um, uh, I think Brandon Belt homered as well. I mean, there's it was a definitely a, a big lead. I think they had and. Uh, it's funny because I, I went to Lincecum's second no-hitter as a fan, and I remember not realizing what was going on until the seventh inning when I looked at the scoreboard. Because, you know, during that time, it was very rare for Lincecum to be going into the seventh inning at all. Oh, so, yeah. Um, that was one of my main things that I was confused about. Then I looked, and I'm like, oh, he's throwing a no-hitter, and we can't leave. You know, Everybody's getting up and leaving, and it's like, what are you doing? You're stupid. So um, it, it was de- it's definitely a cool experience, and I'm sure seeing a perfect game was an even better one. Um, that's, a, that's a really cool moment. Uh, but anyways, Ben, I appreciate the time. This was so much fun, uh, and it was uh, really cool kind of getting to know your, your baseball backstory. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, of course, and we will be on to the next one.
All right, and we are back with Alex Hutton from Oakland. And Alex, of course, is a big baseball fan, and he told me that he has been a baseball fan uh, since he was three or four years old going to Giants game. So Alex joins Rizzo Cast. Alex, how you doing? Welcome. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a great day to be talking baseball considering it's the start of sort of the super wild card round or whatever you want to call it with this with this new format so baseball all day which is which is always a good time so uh, glad to be here do you like the new baseball format because like i find myself looking at the uh i I didn't really do much research into it until it came about i told myself i'm not gonna like dig too hard about what this is gonna look like until it actually happens uh because i like the old format but i also like the new teams so like what do you kind of think about this new format yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. You know, baseball was already the sport with the least number of uh, playoff teams out of the major sports. So um, to, to expand it out a little bit and allow more teams to kind of get that shot, I think is, is cool. I'm good with that. The one thing that's kind of weird for me is that, is that like you have like these longer series where it's not that, that don't necessarily get a home game in the, in the playoffs, you know, you, you go through the whole 162 game season, you work so hard to get to this point and then your fans like don't even get to, necessarily see you have a, a home game that's i think that's the one thing that is a little bit a little bit tough but i think if there's some way to tweak in the in the future so that both so that every team is guaranteed at least one home game i think that would be the that would be the way to go yeah and i think i think now with the format you look at it now and i i, I would ask divisional play i'm sorry i i don't feel like it means as much you know the cardinals they clinched the nl central division and they have to play in this wild card round round and the Mets, you know, they went over a hundred games and they have to play in the wild card round. It's, it's, I, yeah, I would just say one through six, see them, you know, and figure out a way to do that. One team gets it by whatever. I think that's mm-hmm. how I would do it. But um, anyways, let, let's, let's get into to, to you a little bit. Uh, how did you kind of start getting into baseball and what's kind of your baseball background? Yeah. You know, um, my dad um, is, lifelong diehard Giants fan. Um, you know, it was Willie Mays his all-time favorite player. And it was his dream, I think, as a kid to, to play shortstop for them one day. Um, he's from New York, actually, but he was he was always a Giants fan. Um, he, he was like, he, I think he was born the year they moved to San Francisco, I want to say. Uh, but because of Willie Mays, he always just loved the Giants. And so then he sort of passed that down on to me. Um, the story that my parents always loved to tell, I mean, and I don't remember it, so I'm just taking their word for it. But I went to my first game when I was like three or four years old, and I just spent the the entire time uh, at uh, what's now Oracle Park watching the, uh, the the jumbotron basically more so than the uh, than the game. And my parents were kind of like unsure how much I was really paying attention. I was just like sort of distracted by the by the shiny lights on the on the big screen. But um, when, by the time I got home, I had memorized the entire Giants starting lineup and all of their um, jersey numbers. So they're like, okay, he's like actually interested in this. He's actually engaged. And uh, from from then on, yeah, I've just loved the 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 sport and the game itself. And, you know, I, I played Little League growing up uh, and I still go to at least try to go at least a few games a year. Uh, and it's just it's a sport I just really appreciate for like the the way it's played. I think there's something really still magical about, you know, just the crack of the bat and that sort of sometimes more kind of relaxed, slow paced vibe it can give off, um, you know, just something about just, you know, a summer day going to the ballpark and just relaxing and taking in some baseball, I think is always a great time. So that's kind of how it, it developed for me. Do you remember any of those names that you memorized uh, with the lineup that you See, memorized on the scoreboard? 
So we're talking three or four years old to the 2002, 2003 Giants. So that's probably that's Barry Bonds, Rich Aurelia. Um, those are the two. Those are the two names that jump out to me immediately. I'm trying to remember who else would have would have been on the team around that time. Um, and if you if you if you can help me out here, maybe maybe something will. JT we'll Snow. Yep. Yep. Probably Jeff Kent. Maybe. Um, and would would Ray Durham have been on the team yet, or is he maybe he a little later? Ellis Burks maybe. was he there? Um, I'm not I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but it's certainly possible. Um, all the, all those guys kind of around that time. Um, I remember, but but Bonds and really I think are the two I, I I and and Snow a little bit are the two I or the three I, I particularly attached to. Yep, Armando Rios. <laughs> in the, yeah, the maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe had like Russ Ortiz pitching or Sean Estes pitching, something like yeah, that. Or uh, the, the the pitcher from that from that era I really remember is Kirk Reeder. Yeah, uh, he's the one who sticks out to me in that sense. Did you have a favorite player at all? Um, yeah, pro- probably Bonds, just because when I was first getting into to baseball, that's when he was breaking all the records and going on these historic runs. Um, so it, it just meant a lot to me to have someone like I could attach to like, where I could immediately appreciate baseball history through the context of an active player and like come to have that understanding was was really cool. Uh, so he was the guy I think I attached myself to the most. Yeah, no, he was he was the guy that a lot of fans have said uh, in this particular segment. Um, and, and you kind of get to live through baseball through kind of a different lens. I mean, you're going into broadcasting and writing and all that in the, in the sports media scene, you've called some baseball games. I've seen the tapes, Alex, you're pretty good. So what, what, what kind you. of experience have you had in the booth behind the microphone broadcasting baseball? Yeah. Um, I've broadcast mostly, uh, for a couple of different schools. I went to Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles for undergrad and then got my graduate degree in journalism from Northwestern. Um, so I've called, uh, baseball, both those places as well as softball uh northwesterns they got a really good team there um lmu does a does a very good softball team as well i just never got around to broadcasting for them but yeah i've been able to call uh baseball for lmu and northwestern um lmu was really interesting because it was still in the sort of um pandemic pre-vaccine portion of the the pandemic so i was still at home so it was like actually calling games off a monitor off my computer monitor uh, similar to the one i'm done on the zoom call with um and just it, calling it from this same room I'm in now, actually, and um, just getting that experience because that was and that was the first time I ever called baseball, so that was a really interesting experience. When then at Northwestern, you know, I got to the field and like looking out and calling the game that way, and like this is the first time I've actually called baseball in person. So that was kind of a unique experience and a unique shift to the way things went. But you know, I think what I do in both writing and broadcasting is look at the people who I, who do it really well and think, okay, what do they do so well that I can kind of bring into my own style that will make it, that will make it work where it's, you know, it's informative and it's accurate, but it's also fun and entertaining. And, you know, it's about, so it's about, you know, doing research ahead of time and being able to bring up different um, things and pieces of information, you know, and one of the great things I found about baseball is that because there's time in between the action, you get to, you know, banter with the other with the other commentator and bring up interesting stories and facts and talk about things that are kind of tangentially related to what's going on uh so that's um that's all been really cool to to do with with baseball and it's something i hope to uh, continue doing down the line who are the people that you listen to a lot like i guess and appreciate behind the broadcast booth because i'll give you mine i really like of course the the guys in um, the guys in san francisco 
but I also really enjoy listening to, you know, Dave Sims in Seattle. And I like Don Orsillo in San Diego. Um, and I, I, I think to an extent, I like Michael K in New York. Uh, he does big moments really well, I think. So who are the guys that you kind of listen to in baseball? And I guess even in sports media, maybe you read their writing. So who are the sports media people that, uh, that you kind of appreciate and take a little bit from? Oh, yeah, great question. Uh, I do. I do love the Giants announcers as well. Um, I think um, I think Matt Baskurgeon is really good because he knows when to get super excited and he knows when to kind of keep things relatively mellow. Uh, I think I think Joe Davis uh, in in LA uh, has been fantastic and he does he does national stuff as well. I think and he's a new um, Fox announcer for the World Series now that Joe Buck has left. Uh, I think he's very good at just sort of um, you know giving just a, a very um, accurate call and getting excited when he needs to and and things like that and. I think it, it shows through. I mean, obviously, Vin Scully is a very, very tough act to, to follow. And I think he's, you know, stepped into his role incredibly well. Um, and then when it comes to when it comes to writing, uh, my, my favorite current sports writer is Marcus Thompson. Yeah, uh, so I think he just has such a way with words. that's that's really special and unique. Um, but, you know, I read a I, I read a ton of different stuff in various publications. And it's just sort of I just find different things like like stick out to me when when you're just able to tell a story and draw someone in often i find the best stories is the way that's it's written in a way where the reader knows you were that you were actually there at the event or you were there talking to the person you're able to bring them into that with kind of a sense with kind of a sensory experience of what it was actually like to be there i think is, is my favorite kind of sports writing yeah and you mentioned uh, joe buck this is the first postseason without joe buck um yeah at Fox and it's got to have been a bit 20 years, 25 years. I mean, 1996 or five or whatever, or it had to have been around there, but he's been in, he's been in the broadcast booth for postseason games for a long time. And I happen to like Joe Buck. I'm like, I, I, Joe too, Buck actually, yeah. I think he calls a good game. I don't, yeah, no, me too. I, I understand the hate. I understand the narrative where it's like, Oh, well he's Jack Buck's son. And yes, there is truth to that. That is kind of how he broke in, but he like, he's kind of carved out a career. He's, he's, I used to not like, I used to think that he was okay in football and like way better in baseball. Obviously he picked football now, but um, I think he calls a good game. And the only time you're ever going to hear any bias from him is like St. Louis games. Like he's not going to hate on the Yankees or the giants. So I think the, the narrative about Joe Buck is, is way overblown. I happen to like him quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I do too. And I think, I think one of the other sort of criticisms of it for a while was that he doesn't like get, was that he doesn't get excited enough and like he sort of stays too, even keeled throughout the whole time, but I think he's improved at that a lot. I think he's sort of recognized that about himself and improved over time. If you listen to like his calls for the last few years versus a call from maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it's totally different. It's totally changed. And he knows like when to go silent. He knows when there's nothing he can say that'll make the moment better than just letting the images and the sounds play out on the, on the field and in the stands or whatever. And I think that's a really, really important skill for, for broadcasters to have. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, um, I think he also got screwed with Tim McCarver. That's what ruined, I yeah. think, his his legacy a little bit. Tim McCarver was awful in my mind. Uh, and and John Smoltz is like good to a point, but there's there's times where he says stuff that doesn't make any sense or like in relation to the modern game. It's like, what did you just you know? So, but yeah, Joe Buck, hats off to him. Um, I want I want to mention something about uh you know, your career path here real quick. Do you envision working in, in sports? Like if so, what would be your dream job? I know that's a loaded question. You've done so much, but like dream job in sports. 
or in baseball? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I I love writing. I love broadcasting. I do want to stay on the sports track. If there's a way I can sort of keep doing both of those for now, that's the ideal um, setup where I can, you know, find some kind of writing and some kind of broadcasting job at the same time. And then longer term, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this recently. I was reading the um, uh, Best American or Best Sports Writing of the Year, uh, yeah. the 2022 edition, um, just over this past weekend. Uh, it was, uh, you know, um, at the grad the grad program at Northwestern, J.A. Adonde is like the lead um, professor for the sports yeah. media specialization. He edited the book this year. Um, so I was reading it and I just thought like, if I can write the kind of stuff that ends up in this book, that's probably what I want to do long-term. Like the, the, the people who can tell those really unique stories in this really special way, um, I think is, is my favorite, like these, like these in-depth features with, with a ton of detail, with unique angles and all of that um, is the kind, it's the kind of sports writing I, I would kind of see myself doing like long-term down the line kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're dropping names that are like very influential people in the, in the, in the, like the sports media education landscape, like Adonde and Marcus Thompson, they're very gracious with their time with the young, with the, uh, the young writer. So that's awesome. And I guess to, to end it and wrap it up here, do you have a baseball moment that sticks out like any baseball moment that you remember that comes to mind as a favorite, you know, I know postseason is, you know, right now and, that might trigger some postseason memories for you, but is there any baseball moment that you remember that kind of sticks out from the others? Yeah, I mean, obviously as a Giants fan, I've gotten to experience three World Series, uh, which is amazing, you know, just because you think of how long it takes for for some fans to get even one. In so spoiled. <laughs> yeah, and to have to have had three by the time I was 15 years old is, is pretty wild. But um, the I guess the other sort of thing I'll talk about that's not related to that is when I was like five or six years old um I uh like got to sit like at like the lower level like right behind home plate kind of off to the and a little bit off to the side at an A's game actually and so like we were sitting like right by where all the the A's players walked and the coaches and everything getting like to say hi to all of them because I was just a little kid like hi Mm -hmm. and uh you know just getting to talk to all of them and uh I don't know if you remember the, the, the reliever Ricardo Rincon, yeah. uh, but he gave, me, he gave me a ball at the end of the game. And, uh, you know, the, the people giving me high fives and stuff uh, was, was a really like fun experience. Like, cause you know, as a, as a little kid, you never get like that. You, you never, you never expect to get that close and that like up, that up and personal with the, uh, with, with the actual professional players. So like being like, just like this little kid and having just this sort of the sense of wonder about these, these people I, I you know, I saw on TV and the stadium all the time was like a was really cool and like it kind of i think probably probably influenced the the career in sports journalism a little bit because you know sports journalism is all about getting up close and personal with with the players and the these people who get kind of mythologized all the time and making and like sort of turning them into the the human beings that they are and making sure that you um appreciate them and respect them in, in that sense in addition to what they do on the field or on the court so it was um so that was just, I remember that just being a, a really fun day and uh, just a really good time to kind of combine, you know, the the, base, the baseball fan of my youth and what I'm trying to do now. That's awesome. And Ricardo Rincon, of course, is a famous uh, Brad Pitt trade acquisition. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Exactly. And I, I feel so bad that that's Brad, that that's uh, not Brad Pitt. That's Ricardo Rincon's legacy is being a, <laughs> 
a, a trade deadline acquisition of Jonah Hill and, and Brad Pitt, but what are you going to do? I mean, I guess that's how the stars align sometimes. I guess which means that I have to keep just telling the story to like remind there's more to him than just a, a yeah. in the movie. You have like one of the second or third like Ricardo Rincon memories. You're one of the few people that has a Ricardo Rincon memory that isn't Moneyball. Yes, so, this is not very true. I think you should like take that. Yeah, keep telling that story because that's going to, yeah. I got to get Ricardo Rincon on the podcast and then I'll have you like co-host with me or something. I, I would love great. that. I'm going to get on that right now. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Alex, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, and kind of telling your your baseball story. And um, best of luck to you moving forward. I know you're going to do some some big things. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to go on to the next person.